Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray, maybe only 5'10", or maybe even less, but could he come up really big for the Bucks? We'll tell you why. And back-to-back shutouts for Andre Vaslevsky. The Lightning continue to roll. Uh, he now sets a franchise record with 18, breaking the old mark held by Ben Bishop. Uh, a couple of great games for him, of course, with shutouts over Dallas on Thursday. And then uh, the Lightning Blank Montreal 3 to nothing on Saturday. We'll talk about that. The Great American Race, the Daytona 500, was like the Great American Demolition Derby, marred by some horrific accidents. It was won by Danny Hamlin, but... Um, man, there was this one run wreck that took out about half the field. 22 cars piled up in that one. A neat story, though, with Joe Gibbs Racing taking the first three spots in the Daytona 500. Of course, he lost his son, J.D. Gibbs, not long ago. And more complaints about the Rays opener? Jeez, when will this talk end? We've got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, you know, this podcast is really growing, and if you have a business, we'd love for you to grow with us. Our sponsors have shown great results from all our listeners, and uh, if you would like to advertise with us, uh, we'd love to have you. Contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love for you to be part of our team. Well, Steve, speaking of great teams, the Tampa Bay Lightning, with a couple of back-to-back shutouts, let me just say, we you know, we know how we, we talk so much about Andre Vasilevsky and, and the potential. I mean, this guy is, what, all of 24 years old? Is that right? Uh, and he's played essentially one full season as their starter uh, in the NHL. Of course, he had the injury earlier this year and, uh, and missed a number of games. But if there's a better goaltender in hockey, he's not playing right now. It's got to be Vasilevsky. And he's now set the franchise record for the most shutouts with 18 that broke the old record held by Ben Bishop. Of course, Bishop was in the house, but didn't play on Thursday night when they beat the Dallas stars six to nothing. Then they follow that up with a three to nothing uh, win over Montreal on Saturday. You were at uh, both games, obviously they're uh, producing, you know, as great as Vasilevsky is, you, you made mention before we went on, uh, went on this podcast that as a team, they, they have, they have certainly clamped down and started to play better defense. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the the way their forwards are back-checking, you look at the spacing and the gaps between the defensemen and the the lightning forwards uh, from the defensive end and then going to the offensive end, they're really starting to – it really looks like they're starting to get into playoff form. I mean, their attention to detail on the defensive end – you know, I mean, Montreal only had, I think, 20 or 21 shots in the game. Dallas had a lot more, but there weren't a lot of great scoring chances for either – for Montreal or for Dallas is that – you know, as a team, it seems like they're kind of ramping up the, the defensive end of the, the ice, you know, and helping Andre Vasilevsky out, which is ultimately, you know, Mikhail Sergachev was on the radio broadcast uh, after the game on Saturday talking about, look, we play to help our goalies out. That's what we want to do. We want to mm-hmm. make life easy on the goal. I mean, Andre Vasilevsky bails us out enough. We need to make life easy on him more often, and that's what they're really focused on doing right now. Yeah, what I like about this team, and of course the best teams are, are always, you know, police from the inside. I mean, when you talk about 
you know, like my discussion I had with Bruce Arians um, when we talked about, you know, how he always says, look, I, I don't have a mad magic speech. You'll be as good as the team wants to be, as the players want to be. And that's always been true in sports is that your best teams are led from, from inside, from the locker room and then, and then on out. Uh, and I think there seems to be an awareness and a certain um, uh, purpose and they're keeping it short term, which is, I think, hard to do with, with the kind of season and the kind of record that they have. But there's a, there was a recognition that, you know, one area that we could get better at is, you know, we know we can score and we outscore a lot of teams and they were winning five to four and six to three and all this. But, hey, we could really do more to help our goaltender. And I and I and obviously he's great. And, you know, any defense starts with your goaltender. But they what you love about this team is that they continue to push themselves and challenge themselves to get better with the, obvi- the obvious um, purpose in mind, not the regular season, but what they know is going to be and hope they, they hope will be a long run in the postseason that's coming up. Well, and you also like to see the way some of the, the players are developing. For instance, True. I thought Saturday night Eric Chernak was fantastic. He's making all the right decisions in his own end. He's making the simple play. He's erasing mm-hmm. people on checks. He's steady, and now he's looking to shoot. I know going into the third period on Saturday night, he had seven shots on net. At the time, Lightning had 20. He had over a third of the shots on night for the net for the Lightning. He's starting to find his offensive game as well and, and becoming a complete defenseman for them, and it's only his first year. I mean, this is his rookie year. He's still growing and developing, and it helps playing opposite McDonough, which is what he usually does. But to see his game progress, particularly in the last month or two, it's really kind of gone up another level, which is exactly what you want to see as you start heading to the playoffs. You know, Tony Sorelli still in his first full season is progress. You know, he he he, he continues to make the right play every time, particularly such a good especially player. on the penalty kill. He is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Not just the shorthanded goals, but the plays he makes in the defensive end, whether it's on the penalty kill or just regular five on five. He's he's a smart player, and, and you just see his game growing and the confidence in his game growing. And, you know, so when you have young guys like that that are now taking the next step on this team or that's already as talented as it is and as veteran-loaded and, and the experience as it is, it, it just makes it even that much better of a team. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. The trade deadline's a week from today mm-hmm. in the NHL. Will the Lightning make a move? Are they, are they going all in, or is there a move – that they could make that's going to make their team better. I mean, you can talk about making a trade, but if it doesn't make your team better, if, if, if you're taking somebody out of the lineup that's better than the guy you're getting, then w- what's the point? So it's going to be interesting if, if any moves are made for this team because, you know, even a lot of the pieces that you could say, well, maybe we want to upgrade here, are starting to, you're starting to see a lot of progress from them too. Yeah, you mentioned that the trade deadlines the 25th of February. Um, Diana Neros wrote a story in the Tampa Bay Times. You can read it on TampaBay.com, asking uh, that you know the most often player that's matched with the Lightning in terms of trade discussion is Philadelphia's uh, Wayne Simmons. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, here's a guy that uh, has like a 12-team no trade clause. Um, it doesn't include the Lightning, however. Uh, I guess there's about a million dollars left on. Uh, what what his what his cap hit would be, so it's fairly friendly. Um, even though Tampa Bay, you know, has under seven hundred thousand left under their cap, but he's he's thirty years old. I mean, he's a power forward. Um, do you think somebody like this would uh, would, would would make sense? Is that the most sort of the most likely guy, uh, type of guy they would trade and trade for? I, I like Wayne Simmons a lot. He brings uh, he brings a physical element, particularly in front of the net, that the Lightning doesn't yeah. have as much. He's mm-hmm. more of that. 
the old school big body in front of the net. I mean, Yanni Gord likes to go in front of the net and, and mix it up and, and does fine. But Wayne Simmons is a much, you know, bigger body, kind of a bruising type forward. You know, he's he's not a not a fighter. He's not the you know that type. But um, you know, I, I really like him. I think you know he can be an upgrade. But you know, who are you going to have to move out to get rid of? I mean, if you're going to put him in the lineup, you know, is it is it a Alex Kalorn that? you want to move out or, you know, and Adam Ernie's going to sit because of that. And Wayne Simmons would definitely be an upgrade over Adam Ernie. Um, and, you know, Wayne Simmons is a rental too. So for the Lightning, you can go for it as a rental player. He's going to be an right. unrestricted free agent. So, you know, you yeah. can sit there, trade for him for this year and not have to worry about the cap hit next year on him. That's, so that's, that's one that's of the reasons right. where the Lightning in the past have always been hesitant to do rentals. Mm-hmm. You know, McDonough and, and um, JT Miller last year each had one year left on their contract. Uh, Ryan Callahan was an exception, but when they were trading Marty St. Louis, when you have one team to trade to, you don't really have a lot of options. But as a, as a rule, Steve Eiserman did not like to do rental players. The current Lightning, though, with as deep as this team is, as loaded as this team is, and knowing the cap problems that this team's going to face in the future, and they're not massive problems to this point, but you are going to have to make some decisions and some players you're going to end up losing in the next year or two because you just can't afford them cap-wise, not because you want to lose them or you're ready to move on, just the, it's, a, it's a casualty of the cap. The Lightning are going to start to have those experiences the next year or two. So a rental player in this environment, assuming the price isn't too steep, can be very advantageous for the Lightning because you're not committed to the player for next year. It's about we're trying to win the cup this year. Right, and to that point, I guess uh, as Diana notes in her story, you know the biggest priority probably in the off season is going to be signing Braden Point, and then you have raises that you know you have to cover for Kucherov and Yanni Gord and Ryan McDonough, um, so they're going to have some cap issues. But so that's why this this would make sense. They like you said, they normally don't. Yeah, do you've got to sign Braden thing. Point this off season. Now you can he's a restricted free agent. So right. do you sign him to a big Austin Matthews type deal? And you're probably not going to go that number, but being in Florida and the tax rate helps you. You don't have to get that high. Sure. Sure. Or do you sign or does he take a shorter term deal like Kucherov did, what they call a bridge deal? You take more of a three year deal, you wait to get your big contract in three years when your numbers are even gaudier. And you can become an unrestricted free agent instead of a restricted free agent. Because in order for another team to sign Braden Point this offseason, he'll be a restricted free agent. You have to sign him to an offer sheet, which I believe if the Lightning don't match, I believe it's four number one draft picks you have to give up. Yeah. It's going to be four. I think for the amount of money Braden Point will command, you'd have to give up four straight number one draft picks, which means you have to own all four. It has to be your draft picks, too. You can't be a number one you traded for. So it's got to be a team that controls four straight years of draft picks and then could sign them. Now, there's... You know, there's there's thoughts in the NHL that there really hasn't been anyone signed to an offer sheet in years. There's thoughts that that may start changing, but that's a steep price. Yeah, that's that's almost prohibitive. I mean, I think when 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 you put that kind of a of a price tag on it, you're saying we're not letting you know we're not expecting this guy to go anywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's th- these are all I mean, these are all things we're going to know pretty soon. I mean, because obviously February 28th is around the corner. Um, they, if they don't make a move, I don't think it would you know, upset anybody's apple cart. And sometimes, you know, there's still, I mean, there's still some time where you could have injuries. You could have something that would affect sort of their approach on this. But I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, to me, if you can improve your team and you can get a guy like that, maybe you do it at least for the, the short term and for the playoff push. But boy, I'll tell you the lightning, the, the feeling in that, in that building, uh, uh, and you're at the game, Steve, it's almost, 
there's no expectation. I mean, it's stunning if they lose a game at this point. I mean, it that's is. how you feel about this this hockey team. They're it, playing so well. And you're starting to feel the crowds now at home kind of get in that playoff mode now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after big saves, they're starting to chant Bazzi. Yes. Um, they're really getting on the officials, especially if they miss a call more than anything. Um, <laughs> you know, th- to be honest, throughout a lot of this season, I mean, the crowds have always been great there. But it's, uh, it's always been kind of, you know, they cheer, they celebrate, but they're all waiting for the playoffs. I mean, it's kind of sure. like, you know, everybody watching on TV, too. It's You're cheering, yeah. you're following along, but you know they're going to the playoffs. You're, everyone's kind of waiting for April right now. Yeah. And so, you know, but it's good to see the crowds are starting to ramp. They're getting more animated, more into it. Like, you know, like it's, it's kind of starting to get a playoff feel. And look, these two blast shutouts, let's not forget, you're playing Dallas and Montreal. Both teams are right there on the cut line for the playoffs. These are teams that desperately need points. And you just shut two of them out back to back. That's yeah, impressive. There's almost there's almost an enjoyment that uh, the, the fans are, are enjoying sort of the seal clubbing that's going on right now. That you know what they're feeling it too. You know they're mm-hmm. feeling a little swag and and uh, and and they're going to get on on the other team and they're going to get on the refs and you're not going to come into this building and we we came we paid our money we expect to to watch not just a win but a beatdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, one way or the other you're going to get yours and um and that that is that is a, a that is the confidence that uh I think people have in this hockey team and it's starting to spill over into the fan base. The other thing cool. I like about this team is they're starting to dominate the third period. Mhm. And there's a lot of reasons for it, I think. I think, you know, some of it's just pure talent level. But the other part of this is this team has been so deep all year. They've been running four lines offensively. They, their fourth line plays more than most teams. Their stars, Ryan McDonough is not one of the top minute getters in the NHL, nor is Victor Hedman, which, you know, in years past, Victor Hedman would be near the top of that. He's getting less minutes this year than he has in the past. Ryan McDonough got less minutes than he did last year. Is that I think they've saved a lot of their, their players are fresher overall. You know, and, and yeah, maybe it's two minutes a game you're saving or three minutes a game, but add that up over 80 games. Oh, yeah, that's big. That's huge. Because mm-hmm. because your fourth line of Cedric Paquette and, and Adam Ernie and Matthew Joseph and Ryan Callahan, whoever you're putting on that fourth line, is playing more often because you're willing to just roll the lines because your team's playing so well. You're putting them out there in situations other teams don't because you've got big leads and you've, you've got a huge lead in the point standings. And so you're saving some of your players and resting them more. And then you start adding the – defensive rotation that you've got going on where between Coburn and Girardi and, and Sergachev and uh, Chernak, you know, they're sitting every fourth game essentially and getting more rest. They've made so many good moves throughout this season to prepare themselves for April and, and, and the past experiences too, from, you know, losing last year in the Eastern conference finals after having a three, two lead, missing the playoffs two seasons ago by a point because they got off to a horrible start of the season and, and went on an incredible tear at the second half, just came a point short to losing to the Blackhawks years ago and, and the Penguins too, you know, in the, in the, the cup final and then the Eastern conference final, all these moves. And then Matthew Joseph's progression, Eric Chernak and, Adam Ernie's progression and all everything going Sergachev's growth in year number two. This team is is about as loaded and as as prepared for the playoffs as any we've seen in years. Yeah, all those things have driven them to where they're at now, and and the development of the young guys is is the biggest thing. And their superstars are still. I mean, Stamkos with another great game the other night. He's uh, I guess three or four points. I think it's four points short of setting the club record. Well, he's um, he's uh, he's made some moves to. Uh, as Bill Raftery would say, at least in lingerie on the ice. Mm-hmm. 
He can he, still he, skate. He's undressed a few guys in the last couple of games. Yes, <laughs> and he still's got the unleashing that one timer that no one can stop. So fun to watch. Look, a, a great weekend for the Lightning if, if you count Thursday night's game. Uh, since we've talked to you anyway, um, with the big shutout there, and then following that up on Saturday. So we'll see how they uh, how they progress going forward. But we're uh, getting closer to the trade deadline, and you know perhaps something will happen, and, and we'll discuss that as well. Uh, I wanted to just quickly uh, talk a little bit about the NFL and the NFL draft, which is uh, coming up before you know it. But before that, will be uh, the NFL Combine. I'll be in Indianapolis. The underwear Olympics. Uh, it is the it is literally the underwear Olympics, as they strip these guys down and and you know measure them. And and that's the the thing I want to talk about the most is that you know the guy all eyes will be on when he steps on the scale and and they you know put the tape measure on him is going to be the Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray and. Uh, of course, we know that he was drafted in the first round by the Oakland A's and then recently came out and said he wants to uh, fully commit to an NFL career and at least for, this, for the time being put on hold any, any idea of playing, playing baseball. But, it, you know, he's listed at 5'10", eh, probably more like 5'9", in something, perhaps maybe even 5'8 and three quarters, who knows. But the mere fact that this guy is going to be in the NFL draft and what he has accomplished at Oklahoma – coupled with the success last year of Baker Mayfield is something that's, that could potentially help the Bucks. And here's how. The Bucks, of course, are, are currently holding the number five overall draft pick. And look, I don't think there's any real, real movement or notion of them drafting a quarterback themselves in the first round. They seem committed to Jameis Winston. That's why Bruce Arians is here. Uh, Jameis is in his fifth year and, and, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. But you have some quarterback needy teams right behind them, specifically the New York Giants at number six. Then you have the Jaguars at seven. Of course, we know the Denver Broncos, you know, made a trade for Joe Flacco, so that takes them out of it. But you got the Miami Dolphins at thirteen. There's talk about them getting rid of Ryan Tannehill. The Washington Redskins are at fifteen, and of course, Alex Smith is uh, probably not going to play at all this year because of that horrific knee injury that he had. Uh, and even, you know, for that matter, the Lions, who are at eight, and the Bengals. Uh, at 11, they might have some quarterback plans, you know, as their, as their quarterbacks start to get older uh, themselves. So, You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Um, you know, you've got a number of these guys, in addition to Murray, guys like Drew Locke from Missouri and Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State, and then even Duke's uh, Daniel Jones is, are all guys that could get first-round consideration. But... I talked to some some people uh, around the league and with the Bucks, and the interesting thing is is that they really believe that as Murray shows up now, he again he's he he may uh, measure poorly. His his agent Eric Burkhardt, his football agent, says that he's gained some weight. He's up to two hundred five pounds, which would be a good thing if he's over two hundred. But this much is is fairly predictable that he's going to run and test really well. His arm is strong. Since Mayfield went number one overall to the Browns, and that was a surprise by many people, and he he came in measuring exactly at six feet and like point zero point six two five inches, so he was right at six feet. But 
Look, I, I've stood stood next to Drew Brees, and I and he's not a six footer. Russell Wilson is five and eleven. So you know, I mean, because Mayfield was a top five pick, I really think there's a chance that Murray could get a, a, a real consideration for even uh, going somewhere in the top five. And forget about the teams that are picking in the top five because they don't need quarterbacks. But talk of you know specifically focus on the player because history shows us that the quarterback position generally pushes you up there. And if that happens, that can only help the Bucks because you're talking about a couple of things. You're going to get another player pushed down to you if he goes ahead of the Bucks, or when the Bucks are picking fifth and everybody knows the New York Giants are going to take a quarterback next, if you want your choice of quarterbacks, you have to come to Tampa Bay at five. Um, and this is why it has the Bucks excited that a guy like Murray is is so focused on now playing football uh, because they really think that, you know, again, the success of Baker Mayfield and how he's going likely to perform at the Combine, which we'll talk about next week, uh, is something that will push him up. And so potentially you could have uh, – we know Nick Bosa is likely to go number one overall. Then you've got guys like Quinnen Williams from Alabama, the defensive tackle. you got Josh Allen from Kentucky, the defensive end. You know, all kinds of elite defensive players – and that's where, Steve, that's where the Bucks' biggest need is, is on defense. I mean, you know, maybe they get an offensive lineman or an offensive tackle um, like a Jonah Williams or somebody like that from Alabama, but I think, I think they need defense and they need multiple players. And the way you do that is by trading down. Now, how far? We don't know. They may not have to go that far to pick up some extra picks. But really, they, they are the biggest Kyler Murray fans at, at, over at, uh, at the Advent uh, Health Care Center, whatever, it used to, whatever it's called now, instead of one buck place as there can be. They are rooting for Murray to do very well and and push himself up into the conversation early in the draft. Mm-hmm. And they need Dwayne Haskins to show well at the Combine yes. as well. I mean, you know, any mm-hmm. quarterback that, you know, whether it's a, a Josh Allen type that kind of jumps up mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe people didn't expect. I mean, this is, you know, next year is supposed to be the quarterback class that everyone's sure. craving for. You need to create demand on quarterbacks this year. Absolutely. Yeah, and it can only help them. So uh, if you have a chance, you can read that story on TampaBay.com. It was in uh, in the newspaper on Friday. It's online everywhere. Uh, go to TampaBay.com and read that. Finally, um, well, we got a couple more things to uh, discuss here um, just real quickly. The Daytona 500, I watched the Great American Race. Didn't see all the laps, but I saw a good portion of it. And it, and like I mentioned in the open, it turned into the, uh, the Great American De- Demolition Derby. There was, and the sad thing was for for Daytona fans and for the you know the racing announcers. And I was listening to Jeff Gordon and and all those guys that it had been a, a relatively clean Daytona and that there weren't a lot of of, of dramatic accidents, you know, wipeout type accidents. Uh, there was a lot of lead changes. It was a fairly clean race until they got to about ten laps to go, <laughs> and then, oh my. They had the monster of all monster wrecks at, uh, you know, you're doing 200 miles an hour. Now guys are starting to feel, hey, I'm 10, 10 laps to go. I got to start making my move. And uh, they, got, they got one that took out 22 cars in one accident. Uh, I mean, half the field basically got wiped out. Well, when, when, with the restrictor plates and with the way they're trying to create such parity in the cars, when you create it to where everyone's on the lead lap with 10 laps to go, and yeah. the whole field is left because everyone look the way the point system in NASCAR is now finishing races is important get you know not going out early so you're a lot cautious earlier because you know all sure. the cars are going to stay together because the cars can't pull away anymore the way they've that's right they've set up these cars that when you create those last 10 laps and everyone's right there 
Everyone mm-hmm. thinks they got a shot to win it, and you're you're going to have these massive wrecks. As long as yep. you're trying to create that much parity throughout the race, and, and you're go- you're creating that urgency at the end, and too many cars think they have a shot at winning it, and they're going for it. They had to shut the racetrack down. Uh, they had to clear all that debris away. Twenty-two cars were were taken out, and in the one accident, and then they restarted, and then there was another accident. <laughs> and so that took out some more cars. I think they ended up with like six on the lead lap for the restart, and it went to what they call overtime in Daytona, the two two lap two lap race essentially. And uh, and uh, Denny Hamlin uh, won his second Daytona 500, and it was interesting because. The Toyotas finished one, two, and three. If you're a big car guy, that that probably matters if you're a Ford or Chevy guy. But the Fords had run faster than everybody uh, during the speed week. And uh, actually, Toyota thought that they would get run down in the restart, but they weren't. The interesting thing about Joe Gibbs is that, you know, a lot of times people talk about great NFL quarterbacks and somehow, or coaches, I'm sorry, and somehow he gets not as high enough billing as I think he deserves because. This is a guy that won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, and they, as you've said, they weren't all superstars. You know, obviously Joe Theismann was was well regarded and renowned, uh, very famous Notre Dame quarterback that did win a Super Bowl for him. Then Doug Williams off the bench uh, had played for Tampa Bay and in the USFL and relieved Jay Schrader that year, and he won a Super Bowl. Uh, and then they had Mark Rippon, who uh, beat the Buffalo Bills, I believe, in a Super Bowl. So those were his three quarterbacks, and he's had an a, an unbelievable second career as a race car owner uh, of, of uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. And, you know, what was neat about uh, about this race with Hamlin winning uh, in the Toyota was the Toyotas finished one, two, and three. And, of course, uh, what was it, just a little while ago, Joe Gibbs lost his son, uh, J.D., uh, who was the co-founder of Joe Gibbs Racing uh, with his father. Uh, he died after he, uh, like a four-year battle with a, a neurological disease. And he was only 49 years old, but he was a big... Uh, a huge, uh, maybe, maybe the biggest guy on, on, on the Gibbs racing team that kind of ran that for his dad. And, and Joe Gibbs is very involved too. So there was Joe Gibbs celebrating, you know, this, this Daytona 500 win and his, and his Toyota's finish, his team finishes one, two, and three. And of course, uh, Joe's a very religious guy and talked about how, you know, JD was with them uh, in spirit and that uh, he probably had the best seat in the house. But uh, so that part was cool. That's what's cool about sports. You can't script these things. Um, but it was really neat to, to see that drama at the end. If you're a Tampa fan and you were wondering what happened to uh, Eric Almarola, well, he got demolished in that 22-car wipeout. And in fact, he was the most vulnerable. At, at one point, the back end of his car got lifted up, and uh, he got sandwiched really hard into the wall and by two cars. Fortunately, none of those drivers were hurt. It's amazing NASCAR does such a great job from a safety standpoint of keeping those cars on the track, but... Um, he thought he was going to go over, and he didn't, thank goodness. Um, but, the, again, the second Daytona, towards the end where he had a chance to, uh, you know, was on the lead lap and had a chance to maybe make a run at it, uh, but then got involved in that wipeout accident. So that was uh, good viewing, though, if uh, you were sitting home watching the Daytona 500 like like I was. And then, uh, finally, uh, Steve, there's still more talk. I mean, this thing will not go away. Uh, there's this obsession now, apparently, that has been started about players griping about the Rays in particular and this concept of the opener. Of course, the latest uh, we've heard uh, from, uh, you know, now from Justin Verlander uh, and also uh, Garrett Cole, who we weighed in about about more criticism on, uh, I guess, on MLB.com. And he talked about that there's a you lose the human element 
when you start rattling off like the best mathematical equations to decide you know who should pitch and who shouldn't and that nobody pays to see a mathematical equation these guys are off are, are, are losing their minds they're off the reservation with this opener stuff well first of all when we started this podcast we said there'd be no math <laughs> true and i'm not going to do the math because i don't <laughs> understand it but but they think it's it's it, they think it's about mathematical equations and really it's about winning and the the evolution of baseball and i understand they want to re- maintain their value of starting pitchers particularly guys, you know, whether you're Jeff Samarja who's getting, you know, $90 million over five years or uh, Verlander and some of these guys. However, when are they stopped paying starting pitchers? I mean, I'm sure Blake Snell's going to do okay after a Cy Young when he comes up for arbitration and or an extension. So it's not like they're not willing to pay pitchers, whether Tampa Bay does or somebody else. But, but this is the evolution of baseball. And like we've talked about it before, I mean, I don't remember, and I wasn't around necessarily cognizant of this, but when – when was the cry uh, so loud about having closers in the game? Mariano Rivera would not be in the Hall of Fame as the only unanimous, you know, first ballot guy if uh, there was this much whining back then. I, I just, I mean, game, the game has evolved. This is, and it's not just the Rays that are doing it. If it wasn't a good idea, if it wasn't working, if it didn't give them an edge, then other teams wouldn't be following suit. Yeah, and I thought it was an interesting tweet Mike Petrelio had uh, that Mark Topkin retweeted, and I'll paraphrase it, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, I wish we would have had Twitter in the 80s when the closer started appearing. Oh, my gosh. And, and look. Break out the bottle of wine. Look, if you're, if you're Justin Verlander and, and you wouldn't want to be, you know, Ryan Yarborough starting, you know, coming in in the second or third inning, great, pitch better. And Justin Verlander does. I mean, if Justin Verlander's mm-hmm. on the Rays – He's not going to be. He's not going to be pitching the second through the eighth inning. He's going to start in the first. No, Blake Snell, yeah. Charlie Morton's going to start the first inning. Absolutely, Tyler Glass now is. And then look, if 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 when De Leon and Bonda get back, if they're ready to start inning one, the Rays will do that. If uh, if Ryan Yarbrough steps up and, and and shows he's ready, they're going to do that too. Uh, look, if you don't like change and people don't like change, which is generally what this is, and, and but to be honest, the players are mostly talking about the economic impact and. and the honest truth is it may impact some of these pitchers, but we don't know what yeah. that impact's going to be. I mean, Ryan Yarbrough won, what, 14, 15 games last year, whatever it was? He sure did. You know, that doesn't help him by having that many wins? No, of course it does. And, and look, for a lot of these guys, Yarbrough included, they would much rather have somebody start the game for them and then come in and pitch four or five or six innings and get a win than to be in Durham being handed the ball in the first inning and getting, you know, going seven. Hey, look, I mean, Ryan, Ryan Stanek last year was a much better opener than he was a seventh or eighth inning guy. That's not going to help him in his career and get paid later based on the stats and his ERA and, and you know all the analytics on him, whatever you want to say. I mean, he was a much better pitcher. Now, it doesn't mean he can't grow to become a closer, and, and I think he's going to be given every opportunity to become – the Rays don't have a set closer. He's going to be right. given every opportunity. But meanwhile, as a younger pitcher, still learning, still developing, still coming up, he was much better – opening a game than he was late in the game last year. And, and whether, look, whether that's the, mental, whether it's preparation, I, you know, I can't, I can't tell you the whole reasons. I think some of it's just the mental part of, look, I'm still learning to pitch up here and facing guys in the first inning instead of having the game on the line in the eighth is a little easier. And you can just go out and throw the ball. And if you give up a run in the first inning, no big deal. Right. If the economics of baseball were the same, if they had revenue sharing, if they all had the same amount of money to spend on, on salaries, et cetera, then, then you would not have this um, situation probably arise. But the fact of the matter is, is that 
you can get a hell of a lot more pitchers to get three outs uh, at the start of a game and when you match up their lineups than you can find a guy that can pitch seven innings that you can afford. Like we said, not every team can hire Verlander or even Garrett Cole or any of those guys. And the Rays have, you know, forever developed pitchers that they couldn't sign to long-term extensions, and that's why David Price and James Shields and all these guys went somewhere else to pitch, and it might be the case with Blake Snell too. But that's where baseball is right now, and it's, a, it's, it's an economic crunch for some of these small market teams. And I don't give a damn, you know, whether they like it or not. The fact of the matter is the Rays' job is to win games, and they won 90 of them doing this, which no one foresee foresaw. And so they're going to continue to do it. And like you said, as guys develop, and if Tyler Glass now and some others um, pitch well, they're going to continue to get the ball, and, and they'll say, hey, go get them first inning. as goes hard and as long as you can, and we'll, we'll get you help at the end of the game. And nobody has a problem with that. It's just the development of baseball. I'm sure there was a time when, you know, pitchers probably said, hey, why don't I get to hit in the American League? I'm a complete pitcher, you know, and they took the bat out of their hand and gave it to a DH. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just the evolution of the game, and these guys really do sound like get-off-my-lawn guys, you know. And I know it's about economics, and I know they're trying to stand up for the union, which has probably let way too many players down. Um, So I I just think it's – it's just worn out to me, but I guess it's a story since the Rays are known for this, if nothing else. But it's amazing how this chatter continues. We're still talking about the opener, and we haven't even gotten to opening day. Well, it's like the opener to spring training, I guess. I suppose. I mean, this is their this is their thing. So you know, I, Rob I, Manford. I, 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 there's some people that complain, but I don't remember hearing players complain the last few seasons when the Indians were using Andrew Miller in the fifth inning during the playoffs. Right. And, you know, teams were starting to, you know, play their their closers or their eighth inning guys a lot earlier in a game when when it was heated up. Now, granted, it's the playoffs, but I didn't hear the players mm-hmm. complaining about that. Mm-mm. It's now that the Rays are using it in the regular season, the opener, that now all of a sudden they're complaining about doing anything it takes to win, which is what the playoff teams were doing. And I didn't hear players complaining about that. No, they didn't. And the thing is, is that tell me which game you don't want to win. I mean, you have to win as many games as you can to get to the postseason where apparently anything goes. So that's all the Rays are trying to do is stay competitive in a division uh, that can outspend them, you know, two to one if they want to or three to one, especially when it comes to starting pitching like the Red Sox and the Yankees do. So anyway, more talk about that. It's we're going to have lots of Rays discussion. We've still got uh, plenty of interviews uh, coming up that we'll play for you guys here in, in the next few weeks. And Mark Tompkins did a good story on Charlie Morton, uh, the new race starter that they got from the Houston Astros. Fascinating guy. Uh, great clubhouse guy. Interesting story in TampaBay.com on Sunday, if you want to read that from Mark, about all the deeds that Charlie Morton does for his teammates off the field. In addition to being a really good pitcher, he's just a very thoughtful dude, and he's going to help that clubhouse. So we have our interview with him. Um, we also had an interview with Matt Duffy coming back from – you know, what was a uh, terrific first half, but a really bad second half as he wore down coming off the Achilles injuries and what he has done in the offseason to gain 23 pounds uh, so that he can make it through an entire uh, Major League Baseball season and how he feels stronger and what kind of year he will have. So lots of talk coming up uh, with those guys in the next uh, few days or so. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed uh, the weekend uh, wrap-up there in sports. The Lightning, uh, by the way, are in Columbus tonight. They got a back-to-back. They'll then go and play Philadelphia on Tuesday against the Flyers, and so the Lightning will continue their role uh, on the road this time. The Rays' first full-squad workout is today, and then their spring training first spring training game is Friday, and so that's uh, something we'll be talking about this week as well. 
They're also uh, Major League Baseball is going to institute their 22nd pitch count in spring training, uh, which uh, will start later uh, later this week, of course. And so we'll see as that another change eventually you know, makes its way into the regular season. But they're doing more and more of this now. Uh, they want to see how this works and help speed up the game. And this is an issue in, in baseball. So I think eventually you'll see a clock, and I think you'll see enforcement of it down the road. But this is the first step to uh, sort of do it in spring training. Anyway, uh, we're here Monday through Friday, and folks, if you have a new business or uh, even you just have a business you would like to grow with us with this podcast, lots of our sponsors are showing great success in uh, joining us. We'd love to have you as, as an advertiser. You can reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTV, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you to be part of our team. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Monday, everybody.